please turn to the Old Testament book of Joel. As you're looking for that book in your Bible, the theme for this morning is joy reignited. This is the theme, the topic that we want to have our heads, our minds, our hearts focused on this morning. Has your passion for God grown cold? Has your excitement for life possibly faded or waned? Has that fire inside of you that once blazed so hot in your soul, has that fire kind of died down a bit? Maybe you think, Pastor Matthew, yeah, it's, it's completely gone. Like, it's just cold ash at this point. Does your soul ache? And maybe, maybe you're here this morning at this new church plant preview service, and you've heard that we're launching on Easter, and you're here just kind of checking it out. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know exactly what's missing inside of me. But when I'm alone and it's just me, man, I know there's just something in my soul. I can't even quite put my finger on it, but man, I know I am missing something. You see, the truth is that you and I were made to be white, hot, burning worshipers of Jesus. This is why we sing what we sing, and this is why we gather, because we exist for the praise of God. So our whole purpose is to be white, hot, burning worshipers of Jesus. And only he can reignite that joy inside of you. See, in the days of the prophet Joel, and we're looking at here this morning, the people of God had kind of lost their way. They had drifted far from God. I mean, sure, they were definitely maintaining all of their external religion. So they were going to church, if you will. They, were, they had the temple. They were doing the sacrifices. They were going through the religious motions. And so they maintained their public and their outward expressions of religion. But on the inside, in their hearts... They did not treasure God. They had turned to idols to give them true joy and hope and comfort. And so the people of God in the days of the prophet Joel no longer were depending on their God as their refuge and as their deliverance. Quite honestly, they just forgot. They had amnesia. We can all do this. We can forget things. They forgot how deeply their God loved them. And they forgot God's word and how God promised to always be faithful to them. And so this ancient people of God were desperate for God's renewal. Now, they didn't realize it and they wouldn't have said it that way. But they were. And you know what God did in, the, in this situation? I mean, if you haven't read Joel, then I can tell you this. You will never guess what God did. A few chuckles. 
He sent bugs. That's what he did. He sent insects. He sent a swarm of grasshoppers, of locusts. That's, that, that was God's response to his people forgetting their true love, forgetting about God. God responds and he sends a swarm of locusts. Now, I know what you're thinking, and some of you, you're thinking, well, I live in Bell County, so I know about crickets. Every August, what happens around here? We have, we have our own plague, right? We have our own swarm of crickets that are everywhere. And you, and you want to go to the game and, and root for the tigers. And, and then you have all these crickets, like kamikazes, just like jumping on you. And it's just really gross. And the kids only want to go to the games because of the crickets. So I know that's what we think. We think, oh, yeah, I know crickets. But no, no, that's not what this is. See, this is a plague. I mean, I want you to picture millions of grasshoppers, these locusts, flying in unison, swarming, and so many that the covering the sky and the sun, and, and it gets black. And you're outside, and you see this described as an army in the Bible coming towards you. So inevitably, you're freaked out. So you run inside, and you look out your window, and then you see this millions of locusts descending on your whole property. And as far as your eye can see, you have all the locusts covering your fields, your crops, all your work. On your livelihood. And you're watching all of these insects devour your entire economy. Talk about a recession. I mean, I want you to picture no food in the land of Israel. Nothing to sell or buy. Going into HB and the cupboards are all Empty. There is nothing to buy because all the food is gone. Talking about a complete economic collapse. We're talking about starving children. And you can't feed them. We're talking about poverty and death. This was devastating. This locust swarm that God sent. Let me read to you how the Bible describes it. I mean, I can talk about it, but let's read it. Joel chapter 1, verse 4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust had eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying Locust has eaten. When the Bible repeats itself, it's trying to make a point. It's saying, hey, if you miss it once, I'll say it again. And then I'll say it again. And so you can understand that swarming and have eaten. And then you jump down to verse 10. So chapter 1. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. All their resources are gone. Verse 11. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. You're a farmer. Man, you're, you're in trouble, which is everyone. 
He says, well, O vine dresser, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up. It's all gone. There's nothing to eat. The economy has collapsed. Verse 12, and the gladness dries up from the children of man. All joy dried up, just like everything else. And so you're seeing their joy, their gladness literally just evaporate in front of them. Can you relate? You're like, actually, no, I can't. I've never seen a plague of locusts, so I can't relate. Well, maybe not, but in your own way, can you relate to failure? Because remember, God's people had forsaken God. So then God sent the bugs. This was failure. Maybe, maybe someone failed you this week. But maybe you're the one that failed someone else this week. Maybe you were very disappointed this week. But if I were to guess, you were probably equally disappointing this week. Perhaps you regret something that you saw or heard or said or did. Is your soul at peace this morning? I can assure you, in this era in Israel's history, there was no one's soul that was at peace. Do you need God's renewal today? And perhaps you're thinking to yourself this morning, you know, I don't think that I've ever had my soul truly at peace in my life. Maybe you're being honest right now and you're saying, I don't know that I've ever really had true lasting joy in my soul. The message from Joel, from the Bible, is that in the face of disappointment and failure and regret, God offers renewal. Let me give you the main idea from today's text in the book of Joel. This is the primary truth that we're going to get our minds around, which is that God will do whatever it takes For you to worship him and find lasting joy in his presence. Hear me, God will do whatever it takes for you to worship him and find lasting joy in his presence. Even if it means sending a swarm of bugs, he'll do whatever it takes in your life so you will worship him. And have lasting joy in his presence. Joel chapter 2 verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Stop there for one second. Um, Are you aware of what this army is? It's the grasshoppers. And it calls the locusts God's army. For his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Let's just be as clear as possible. This swarm of locusts were sent from God. 
This was not an accident. God sent them. And maybe you're thinking, man, that sounds really harsh. Like, I thought, I thought the Bible talked about a God of love. What, what, in mercy, what is this God that sends this destroying horde of locusts? What we need to understand from the word is that these locusts was not hate. It was love. The swarm of locusts was mercy, not hate. It was an act of benevolence, God being good to his people so that they could come back to their God the only source of true joy. You see, God loved his children too much to leave them in their sinful tendencies and patterns that was going to take them further and further and further away from him, which meant further away from joy and purpose and hope. And they were going to destroy themselves. And so as an act of mercy, God sent the locusts. Remember, God will do whatever it takes for you to worship him and find lasting joy in his presence. The next few verses in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, describe the path. And it's not complex, and it's just two words. So it's very simple, just two-point sermon. I lost one along the way here. It's simple. Two words. This is the path towards reignited Joy. Number one, path to ignited joy is repentance. This is the first one. Repentance. Verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. This is a picture of repentance. It says, return to me with all your heart. He's saying, not with just part of your heart. He says, stop pretending. He says, stop the posing. Stop the playing religious games and playing church. He says, stop the churchianity. Where we go to worship gatherings and we want to maintain the appearance that we've got it all together. When deep down inside, we know that we don't and that we're a mess and we're broken and we're ensnared by so many things that are robbing us of joy. We think there's no way out. And so we keep on putting on the mask and posing and going to church and just playing games and we're dying on the inside. Can you relate to this? This is so real. This is eternity in the balance. This is the souls of people made in the image of God whom he desperately loves. And he says, I want your whole heart. Not just part of it. Come back to me. Return to me. When he says, don't tear your clothes, that was a religious thing to do. To show that you were really broken over your sin. He says, stop with the religious stuff. 
He says, tear your heart. Rend your heart. Come to me as you are with a broken heart. Just come. Stop. Just come. And let me love you. Let me heal you. Will you just come? This is a picture of repentance. He says, repent means to change your mind and then to change the direction. So repenting is you're walking in this direction and then you you repent and so you turn around. You go in the opposite direction that you had been heading. You turn away from your sin, but you turn to God with faith, with trust. So it's a change of the mind and a changing of the direction heading towards God. And so when you repent, think of it this way. You are agreeing. When you repent, you say, I agree with God. With what God says about me, what God says about my sin, about my attitudes. I agree with what God says. So we turn away from that sinful tendency and we turn Toward, we lean in to God with trust. And so when you're repenting, what you're doing is this process of, of seeing your sin the way God sees it with a changed mind and heart. Now let me give you some examples of what repentance is not. Okay, Let's just take a moment here. Repentance is not rationalizing. Or excusing our sin. So we say, well, in my particular circumstances that are very unique to just me, I know there are billions of humans, but mine is a very unique particular situation. And so therefore, I can do whatever. That's rationalizing. Another one is just flat out blaming. This is saying, well, my life is hard. And my husband did this, or my wife did that. And so therefore, now I can fill in the blank. Blaming. Repentance is not minimizing. Thinking, well, lots of people do this. All the celebrities do it, and their lives seem okay. Really? Have you actually seen what their lives are like? So it's not this minimizing, well, it's not that bad. I can control it. I can, I can manage this sin. I've got it under control. That's minimizing. Repentance is not hiding. Oh, I'll make sure to delete that text message thread. Or I'll make sure to clear my history. No one will know. I'll clear my tracks. That's not repentance. Delaying is not repentance. By delaying, I mean you think to yourself, well, I know this is wrong, and I really do want to stop. I want to change this behavior, this attitude, this relationship, whatever it is. And and you know you need to, and you think, well, I'll break it off later. I'll get accountability on on my cell phone next week. I will address this thing Next time, you would just delay. 
I'll address that someday, just not today. That's not repentance. Let me give you a really tricky one that we cannot be really good at using. Repentance is not self-pity. It's not sorry that you got caught. That's not repentance. And I've seen this. It's crazy, but I've seen this where a spouse, pick one, I don't care, husband or wife, the spouse gets caught doing something, and then he feels so sorry for himself because of his sin, and he got caught, and now he's all mopey. And then his wife feels bad for him. It's like, how in the world? That is not repentance. You know what that is? That is control manipulation. That is manipulating the other person by being sorry for yourself. That is not repentance. That is manipulation. Self-pity. Let me, let me give you another one that's not repentance. This, this one is hard to explain, but I think you'll get this. Repentance is not asking for an advance in God's forgiveness. This looks like this. You think, well, I'm going to go do this thing that I know I shouldn't do again. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stink later. I shouldn't do this, but man, I really want to. Um, so God, I'm going to go ahead and do this. You don't mind, right? Like, you're okay with me doing this because I really want to. Um, and so can you just give me an advance on your forgiveness? And so forgive me right now before I go do this. So that way, so that we're still good, right? Because, I mean, it's okay because I'm just a human and, you know, I have my needs or whatever. And so we just want this advance up front on God's forgiveness. That is not repentance. You know, these examples are not the path to ignited joy in your heart. You know what those are? That is a path to not joy. It's kind of like the prophet Jonah when he was told to go to Nineveh. And he says, um, I'll take one ticket to not Nineveh. This, this pretending to repent is the ticket to not joy. It's, it's the path that leads to the exact opposite of having joy ignited in your soul. Joel 2. 13, rend your hearts, not your garments, your heart, not the appearances. Return to the Lord your God. That is repentance. And repentance is holistic. It involves all of you as a person. Let me explain. When I say it's holistic, repentance includes your mind. Repentance includes the, the person repenting involved a coming to your senses. Just like the prodigal son who was feeding pigs and had offended his father and is realizing, what have I done? And he comes to his senses and he realizes, I'm in the mud. I'm not in my father's house anymore. How did I get here? Ever been there? Where you slowly, slowly drift, drift, and before you know it, you're you're in the mud sty. And and repentance begins in the mind saying, Whoa, how in the world did I make such a mess of that friendship or of my life? 
And it begins in the mind saying, I can't believe I lived like that and I don't want it anymore. That's where it starts. But it involves your emotions. Not just your mind, also your emotions. So when you repent, there has to be a deep sense of sorrow, of grief over what you did, over what you've been doing over how you've lived, people that you've hurt. There ought to be a genuine brokenness. Like it says here, rend your hearts, tear your hearts. There's an emotional response here that's part of repentance. That there's now an awareness of what you've done and a brokenness over it. So it's mind and emotions, but also your will. Repentance is an act of the will, fueled by the Spirit, but nonetheless, act of the will. When, when your mind is changing and your emotions are truly broken over what you have done and your will is forming a plan to get soul care, to change, to get accountability, to do whatever it takes to now live differently. You know what you have right there? Repentance. That is true repentance. And as we read earlier in the worship gathering from Acts 3.19, repentance leads to refreshing. Repentance is a path that leads you back to God, away from that sin that robs you of joy, and it leads you back to God. So the path to joy being reignited, first of all, is repentance. Second of all, is faith. Faith and repentance. We saw it in verse 13. He says, rend your hearts, return to the Lord your God. Here's why. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. You hear that? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. That is powerful. This is the path to real lasting joy. And having joy ignited in your soul is faith. Trusting in God and who he is is depending on him. It is a leaning on him. But leaning where you put all your weight on him. And you're not on your own two feet. You're leaning totally on him. Why? Because he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love. And so joy flows from your beliefs, from what you believe, from your faith, trusting in God. And verse 18, same chapter. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. You catch that word? It says that God is jealous. You think, well, how is God jealous? Listen, God doesn't want part of your heart. He wants all of it. Husbands. Do you want to share your wife's heart with another man? The answer is no. Wives, do you want to share your husband's heart with with someone else? No. No. You see, God is jealous for you. He wants your whole heart. He will not stand for a rival to lead your heart away from him because that's leading you away from his presence and away from joy. 
He wants all of it for his glory and for your good. You know, when we sin, because not if, because we all do it every day. When we sin, do you know why we sin? We sin when, because we believe promises. Hear me, this is really important. Make this connection. We sin because we believe promises. We believe the promises that sin offers. And so sin promises us, and it says, you will, ha- you will get pleasure. And so we, we believe the promise. We, we believe, yes, this sin will give me pleasure. So we believe that promise, and so we then follow the path away from God towards that sin, believing the promise of pleasure. And yet the problem is sin doesn't actually deliver pleasure. What does it deliver? Pain and guilt and shame. It's a lie. Sin then promises, no, 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 I promise you excitement. And so we believe that lie. We believe that promise, though. And so then we follow that sin because we want excitement. But it does bring excitement. Well, maybe for a little while, but not lasting. In the end, what does it bring? It brings depression and loneliness and divorce and addiction and slavery. It doesn't deliver. We believe the lies. It says, no, sin says, I promise you life. But in the end, it only brings death, not life. So when we believe the lies, believe these false promises, then we will respond with with sinful tendencies. And so some of us in this room are believing lies. Maybe you're believing things will never get better. Maybe you're believing the lie Nothing is ever going to change. Maybe you believe the lie, this marriage will never be restored. I will never be able to change. It's just not possible. You know, I know a lot of people in this room are just checking out Renewal Church. I want you to know something. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. This is a place where we want you to know that you belong and it's okay if you don't have it all together because none of us do. We're just being honest about it. Whereas our world just pretends that everything is okay, but the truth is that we're not. But if you want victory, over sin, it's also believing promises. The difference is you believe the promises of God. You believe the truth of the word. And so when we believe, when we believe the promises of the enemy, that leads to sin. When we believe the promises of God, that leads to joy and it leads to victory. And so what, what promises? Well, what do you have to preach to yourself? Verse 19, the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. You hear that? You will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. He takes your guilt and your shame away, and he reignites joy inside of you. And then if you jump to verse 23, it says, 
Be glad, O children. You remember in chapter 1, what had dried up? Gladness had dried up. And then he says, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. This is life. We rejoice through Jesus and his work on the cross where he came, lived a life of perfection, endured our guilt on the cross, our shame on the cross, and he defeated sin and death with his resurrection. And so now we can be forgiven and we can have renewal and all of these promises We can feast on the bread of life on Jesus. And it says, and eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the Lord and have rejoicing and have our joy reignited in our souls. And God does whatever it takes for you to worship him and live in his presence. What are you facing today? Disappointment or failure possibly or regret? Regret will change nothing, but repentance and faith will. This renewal that we're talking about here is only possible through Jesus. And he offers you forgiveness. You cannot on your own change yourself or renew yourself. He is a source of joy. Verse 27 is so powerful. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Have you ever been through something so hard, so painful, so disappointing, and you, you're just wondering, well, where is God? And then you realize that he sent that Situation into your life, that pain on purpose so that you could repent and trust in him. And in your pain, you could just fall on your face before your God. And then, and then your father would come to you and lift up your face with tears flowing And your father looking into your eyes. And you see love in his eyes. And he says, I know it hurt, son, daughter. I know. I had to. There was no other way. The only way to have your heart was for you to go through that. And then feel it. And your father holding you. And then he whispers into your ear and says, 
I've missed you. I'm so glad you're all. That's renewal. That's what God is after. He's not out to hurt you. Whatever you're going through, God is in control and he's he's using it for a purpose. To renew you. To bring you to the end of yourself. Where you will look to the only place where there is true joy. Jesus. He'll do whatever it takes so that you will worship him and live in his presence, which is the only place where you're going to find joy.